wonderful to be in the house of the Lord and with one another, uh, in the presence of our Heavenly Father and, and sharing uh, life, doing life. This is a time of the week when really there isn't much other time where we can just seem to put aside and come together to worship the Lord. This is a precious time we have. And so I pray that as we open up the Word of God that you will hear uh, him speak to you. You will hear his voice uh, from this uh, study in the book of Galatians that we are doing. I just love little Clara just letting us know that she's here and uh, just so excited um, when she just makes those little sounds. Everyone just melts. So uh, let's get into it, shall we? Praise the Lord. So Galatians. We, um, we're going to look at uh, a different part of Galatians. Um, we're going to look at uh, a two-part series, mini-series within the series. So Galatians 2.11 to 3.14. And this is part one of 2.11 to 3.14. I, I want to look at probably four topics as part of um, this passage. The first thing that I want to look at is is connecting the misleading, connecting the misleading. The second thing I want to look at today is truth versus loyalty. And then following next week, we'll look at the simplicity of faith versus our self-dependence and the law. And finally, we'll just look at the, the evidential nature of faith and how it's always a leap. The evidential nature of faith and how it's always a leap. So what I, uh, what I want us to maybe just consider is something that C.S. Lewis wrote. Has anyone read any of C.S. Lewis's stuff? He's a pretty polished writer. And uh, in the Screwtape letters, there's a, a, a quote from Screwtape. He's, he's the devil character in C.S. Lewis's work, Screwtape Letters. And this is what he says. He says, Prosperity knits a person to the world. They feel... They are finding their place in it, while really it is finding its place in them. Increasing reputation, increasing importance, increasing acquaintances, absorbing an agreeable work, building up in them a sense of being really at home in earth, which is what we want. That's the devil character speaking. Uh, Very... uh, well-crafted set of words that just, I think, capture our culture. This is a picture of my little girl, Mia, when she was very young, and her great-grandfather, my grandfather, my mum's dad. And uh, he was affectionately known as Sheep Pa, Sheep Pa. So Mia thought that she was misleading Sheep Pa. She was hiding and she thought she had no idea where uh, she, she thought Sheepa had no idea where she was. And Sheepa was misleading her by making out he didn't know where she was either. And so there's this, uh, together, this mutual misleading of one another in the most playful and enjoyable moments possible. Uh, Mia is trying to sneak up and capture the sheep. And uh, she's really working hard. And I just love their faces as they're just kind of sneaking around the, the chair. Um, but, you know, my, my, my grandfather, or Mia's great-grandfather, he, he was also misled in so many other ways. 
It seems as like there's a misleading which is uh, playful and fun, but then there's another misleading which is, uh, uh, has consequences and has effect and has impact. Does that make sense? There's a misleading which is, you know, a joke, and I, I tend to do a little bit of joking and mislead people. Uh, for example, we're in Switzerland on Facebook. There were people in the family calling up other people in the family saying, are they in Switzerland? Of course, you never believe anything in Facebook. So what was going on here in, in this passage of Galatians? What, what is this misleading that Paul is speaking about? What is, what, what is the trouble? What is the underlying trouble that is taking place? Uh, it seems as though in a very small way, uh, we all have this drawing to find our home in this world. The prosperity that we have draws us into finding this world as our home. How easy is it for us to also forget that this is not our home? We are citizens of heaven. What does that actually mean for us today, this week? Let's read this passage of Scripture. It's got several verses, so I'm going to have it on the screen. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. So we'll read on right the way through to chapter 3. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. So Paul is the I. I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law? Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For I tried to keep the law. It condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. O foolish Galatians, who's cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you, trying, why are you, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God, uh, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God, are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. I find a similarity here about what life means. How C.S. Lewis explores a sense of earth is our life. We have life because of prosperity, because of things, because of our own works. You might say that obeying the law perhaps is trying to do it ourselves too the prosperity the world has to offer. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that your word would find root in our hearts. That, Lord, something of your word would, uh, something of your promise, something of, of, Lord, what you have said would take hold of us this morning. That we would not allow it to escape our hearts and minds that we would meditate upon it, act upon it, and live for you. Lord, it is not us 
Lord, it is all about you. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. What a great long passage, hey? It's nice to have the word read. So I want to begin today by connecting the misleading. And a sub-question to that idea is, what does it take to be misled? How do you mislead someone? Have you ever been misled yourself before? And as Paul's writing this, he's really, 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 really mad because he sees this group of Galatians being misled, but also he sees others being misled, perhaps who shouldn't be. He speaks about this misleading as a, as a turning away, as a false way, as, a, as another way, a pretending way. He speaks of this misleading as an enslavement, no longer free, but enslaved to something. And for Paul, misleading, for those who know Christ, is hypocrisy. Most people get upset when they're called a hypocrite. Have you ever been called a hypocrite and felt a little bit upset? We have a church without hypocrisy. I stand before you as the only one with the raised hand today. Arnie Moore, did you raise a hand? I think Arnie Moore did too. That is me, myself and Arnie Moore are the only ones who raised our hand. I'm misleading you right now. I want, I, want to see, I want you to see the deep conflict that has taken place here, that this misleading that has occurred. And I think the passage makes it clear for us. That we see that misleading is a big problem. What does it take to be misled? Can, can, I, can I give a confession? Is that okay? I, I need to confess something. Can I show you a picture? You just need some context. There was something on Facebook. I liked it. And I bought it. You know, Swiss, Alps, Facebook. Oh, the picture didn't, didn't make it, I'm sorry. Um, there's a, 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 arrived at my house were three robo vacuum cleaners. I wanted to join the automatic vacuuming club. I wanted to give my kids a gift of real value, one vacuum cleaner each, which they could look after and maintain so that whilst we are about our daily lives, this beautiful little robot is about its life. And it returns to its home, and it's got lasers, and it's got super cleaners, and it's a miracle machine. Can you say miracle machine? Miracle machine. Hallelujah. So that's what I thought. And I was very excited. And part of my confession is this, that, that my wife said, don't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, that's, that's what she said. But fearlessly, I pursued glory. Glory. And when it arrived, my heart sank. Not because I lost money, because my wife said, don't do it. <laughs> and she was right. These machines that we received were nothing like what was advertised. I, I promise you, no, honestly, I'm not mental. I promise you, nothing like what was advertised. This video showed these beautiful robo-machines and what I received was about that big, the thinnest plastic in history, had to provide my own batteries and recharge it with a USB port. No return to home, no lasers, 
no joy. I was misled. Have you ever been misled before? You, you, you're ever thankful that, that the Australian Financial Commission can save you and force PayPal to refund you? That was a great little win. That saved my bacon. For Paul, what does it take to be misled? You see, I was overcome by a very well-painted scenario. I did a little bit of due diligence. I researched the web to check if there was anybody else who purchased the product. I found one review. I thought I had this one in the bag. I thought I had a bargain. I was misled. For Paul, what does it take? What does he believe? What does it take to be misled? Let's just look at some of the passages uh, maybe from Galatians chapter 1, where Paul talks about being misled. He, he talks about following a different way that pretends. He talks about being fooled by somebody who is deliberately twisting the truth. Deliberately twisting the truth. Something that is different, something that is pretending, something that seems right, seems to be able to mislead us. An intentional twisting of truth. Maybe we could say a twisting of capital T truth to maybe creating a a little t truth that seems right. Do you know what I'm talking about? It seems right. It seems to make sense. In chapter 2, Paul continues and talks about this misleading as a way to be enslaved, as as a kind of a pressure that is at work towards the misleaders. Uh, uh, The the misleaders are are placing pressure on those around about them to follow. There's a pressure. Have you ever felt peer pressure before? Pressure professionally, pressure within your family, pressure within your own heart and life, making up your mind about who Jesus is. Have you ever contended with disbelief before? Have you ever contended with just not being quite sure? Ever felt that pressure? The pressure of others, religious and cultural pressures that are upon us. Cultural pressures are very dangerous because often we're not really aware of it. Because it's just part of our life. It's part of what we do. Paul continues in chapter 2 and talks about the criticism, the, the, the ability of criticism to mislead us, to cause us to change direction and be misled. It causes hypocrisy, that when we are misled and going down the wrong truth, we end up becoming double-minded in our ways. We end up becoming unstable and, and having a way of living and a view about one way on one particular day, and then maybe viewing Jesus in another way on another particular day. You know, it's possible to be a really good Christian on Sunday at 10 o'clock, but as soon as you clock out, what happens then? It's possible to be with someone and pray, but then what happens on on Tuesday? Not between 9 and 10 where there's a prayer meeting, but after that time. And finally, in in chapter 3, Paul continues about about being misled. This kind of evil spell has misled you. It's, 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 It's like someone's grabbed hold of you magically and turned you away and And you're so misled, now you're trying to be perfect. You're trying your best to fit in. You've been so misled. 
You've been so moved away from Jesus that you're no longer following capital T truth. You're following lowercase truth, your truth, cultural truth, prosperity truth, what C.S. Lewis speaks about. But the question that always comes to me is, but how? How can this happen? I mean, surely if we love Jesus and Jesus loves us, how can we get it so wrong? Has anyone thought that? How? Is, is it even possible? Like once you've tasted salvation, once you've tasted the love of Christ, how can you ever lose that? Isn't this a, a relevant question that Paul himself is grappling with? He himself has led these people into understanding that it's Christ and Christ alone, and now they've astrayed, they've been misled. And, and Paul's thinking, what? How? How? It's a great question, Ben. What's the answer? Well, thank you for asking. In John chapter 10, there's a beautiful passage about Jesus describing himself and his relationship to believers, to us. He describes himself as a shepherd. And he describes us as sheep. Jesus is the shepherd, we are the sheep. And in this beautiful text, Jesus describes that it's, it's his voice, his, his voice that, that the sheep know, that the sheep are aware of, that the sheep have a sense of, knowing whose that voice is. Uh, Neville Langman, can you please stand? Thank you. Face the crowd, the, the, the mob. Okay, Nev, close your... Oh, don't look at me. Face the, okay, close, close your eyes, please, Mr Langman. I would like to invite the person who I point to speak and Neville is going to tell me whose voice it is. A bit more volume. Yay! Okay, now just to, just to prove that it wasn't rigged, because I could have rigged that up, yeah? I'm going to try again. So Nev, were your eyes closed? Be truthful here. Bronnie, is his eyes closed? <laughs> Bronnie, we don't need the full truth, just a truth. I'm going to point to somebody else to speak and we're going to see what happens. Is that convincing enough? Do you need more convincing? Everyone give Nev a round of applause. That was a big moment. Practical illustrations can do that sometimes, but thanks, Nev. So there's something about knowing people's voices that we get, and Jesus uses this same illustration and says, you know what, once you've been around me a little while, you just get to know my voice. You just get to know what I sound like. You just get to become aware of, of what I say and how I say it and when I speak. And, and, and so there's this conversation that takes place in chapter 10. I just want to read a few verses. In verse 4, Jesus says, oh, sorry, in, in, in verse 4, um, it says, After he had gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. They follow him 
because they know his voice, Jesus speaking. They follow him because they know his voice. Have a listen to verse 5. They they won't follow a stranger. They run in front of him because they don't know his voice. The idea is that the shepherd is leading. And And so a stranger's voice, you don't follow. You just continue past. You just continue by. You're not, you're not being misled by a voice you do not know. You're being led by a voice you do know. And this is the great misleading. This is the great power. This is the great tragedy. This is the great subtlety of being misled. Most of the time we're misled because we choose to actually know another voice. We choose to actually hear Another voice. Now, sometimes it's not quite that simple. I believe that when we first become misled, it's often not intentionally. I'm going to try this on the fly. It's often because other voices begin to drown out our voice. And hopefully, you can pick that up and it gets a little bit harder to hear my voice because my voice is starting to get drowned by other people's voices. Our life can get so busy. Our life can get so intense with everything going around about us that we don't stop, that we don't have time where it's just us and his voice. We're just running from place to place to place and we find other voices begin to make it hard to hear. Who's having trouble hearing me right now? You are? A little bit? Who can hear me crystal clear? Good on you, Judith. Love your work. <laughs> it becomes almost irritating to try and listen to me just then. It's annoying. Who was a little bit annoyed? So why do we allow the voice of our Lord Jesus to become drowned out? Why don't we get annoyed about that? That's true, Judith. Why don't we get annoyed about the things that drown out his voice? Because I think that's in part what happened to these beautiful people in Galatia. The the, the voice of Jesus was drowned out by other voices. By other voices by either a wrong voice or, or a misplacement of trust in the wrong voice. Or maybe they accepted the pressure that was being exerted upon them from others. Maybe it was a sense of reputation for them, like they wanted to fit in. They, they were these new Christians following Jesus, but they also wanted to fit into the culture. And some of the culture was Jewish, And so they really wanted to fit in. They wanted to be a part of the family. They wanted to belong. And so in following Jesus, they they heard these other voices saying, you know what, there's some ceremony that you have to go through. There's some circumcision that, fellas, you're going to have to do because that's the way you keep Christ. That's the way you have salvation. For C.S. Lewis, he says it's, it's, it's the prosperity that speaks to us. It's, it's the attraction of our reputation. It's the attraction of our status. These things begin to mislead us and we think it's important to us. And that voice gets louder and louder and louder. 
to the place where we struggle to hear the voice of God. Maybe it's just carelessness. Maybe it's complacency. Maybe it's just a, a process of the day goes through and I haven't stopped once to speak to the Lord. Maybe a whole week will go by. You call it busyness, you call it whatever you want, but somehow the voice is just not there speaking to you. Or, or maybe it's just a genuine loss of belief. Those moments when you've prayed and, and there's a sense that nothing has happened. Maybe these Galatians prayed and nothing happened for them. So they were searching for alternatives to make it happen. You see, if you think that way, you're thinking, this world is my home. But if you really are a citizen of heaven, what do these things really matter? Do we really take that seriously? It's hard. It's hard. How did Paul respond to this misleading? What did Paul say? What did he do? Well, I believe Paul attacks this notion of truth versus loyalty. You ever explored that in ethics or some sort of a debate class or conversations, relationships? Just me? Man, I must be in a different world. I apologise. Paul responds with a, 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 an idea of truth versus loyalty. Truth versus loyalty. So the question is, why does truth often seem to oppose loyalty? Good question. Why does it seem that way? Why does it seem when someone comes to you with the truth, it seems to be an attack to loyalty? Why, why is that? What is happening there? What is occurring there? I think Paul does something which is extremely gutsy in chapter 2. He actually calls Peter out in front of people. Now, whatever happened to what Jesus said, you know, go to someone in private... Paul, he, he, obviously the gospel wasn't written then, he couldn't read that bit. For Paul, it, it was just a calling out. It was just a, Peter, what are you doing? You used to sit with us and we used to have a meal together, but now it's like there's two classes of Christians. There's the class of Christians that loves the Lord but doesn't have ceremony and doesn't follow things like circumcision and doesn't follow the church process. And then there's another set of Christians which do have ceremony and do follow the process. And, and because Jesus has done all the work, it's like now in this side you're saying Jesus isn't enough. And that drives Paul nuts. He is a man on a rampage. There is so much fire if he was like a boxer right then, it would be like Tyson. He would be biting ears off. He, he, he was so furious that in such a short amount of time, we had already begun to deviate away from simply Jesus, simply him. Paul answers this question of being misled with this idea of truth versus loyalty. You see, Peter was struggling, trying to be loyal to the old system in the old ways. He was trying to straddle the boundary of capital T truth, but still being loyal to culture, still being loyal to 
acting in a certain way that was acceptable to his peers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in their life, in their circumstances? I meet with a Kids Hope kid every Tuesday and I find myself straddling these worlds where I can't say certain things and I just have to trust God. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you just know you're limited. It's like you're you're muzzled to some degree. What do you do when that happens to you? Do you buy into the culture and just live that way? Because that's what Peter's doing. He's, he's straddling both. He's, he's trying to be loyal and yet trying to stick to the truth. But you know what? It doesn't work. And it made him unstable. So unstable that as a leader, he was actually beginning to influence and lead others astray. That is the terrible price of the battle between truth and loyalty. Peter was misleading others. Others were agreeing and wanted Peter to do just that because if Pete was doing that, then it's okay for me. Yeah? Peter's in a very awkward place. But Paul's not. He is 100% committed, sold out to the truth. Are you 100% committed to the truth? Or do you find yourself wrestling with the loyalties that you need to feed and look after because I tell you what loyalty and truth will only oppose when loyalty is prime when truth is prime and you're loyal to capital T truth you never have that conflict do you, does that make sense if you're if you're loyal to another truth then real truth will always have a problem with your loyalty. But when you're loyal to the truth, there will never be an argument. There will never be a disagreement because you can always be loyal to that capital T truth wholeheartedly. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul was being loyal to Jesus, 100%. Capital T truth. In fact, he's so loyal, he's he's attacking like heavy-duty figures in the church, this, this guy called Peter, the guy who walked on water. Wow. Truth so often in our culture seems to oppose loyalty. Well, that's because the loyalty is misdirected towards a mistruth. It's very subtle, very dangerous. But when you're loyal to capital T truth, you never have that trouble. You have great clarity. You have, you have great uh, consistency in your thinking and the way you walk. You are never unstable in any sense. The grey begins to melt away when you are loyal to the truth. Loyal to the truth. You see, there was a wrong placement of the capital. For Peter, he placed the capital letter on the L. Whereas Paul was more interested in truth. I just wonder if there's a general decay when we have misplaced loyalty. My dentist, I love my dentist, he always berates me. He says, Ben, you've got decay. Do you know what that means? And he says it with such passion. He says that means that once the decay gets in there, you can't get it out. It starts eating away at the enamel. And I'm starting to fear because he's got drills and he can, he, can, he can get blood out of me if he wants, you know. 
and, and I, I'm helpless. And, I, and I've got the sweats and my hands are gone cold and I'm getting nervous and I've got goosebumps. Has anyone got goosebumps right now because you also despise dentists, although I do love my dentist? The sound of the drill. And so he says, Ben, I've told you this before. You've got a floss, but not just any floss. It's a certain type of floss that gets right underneath certain areas. And I get confused every time. And then he, he gets these little things that you put in between the teeth. And oh, honestly, I really try to avoid decay. I really do. But once decay sets in, it's hard to stop. He says it's best to not let it happen in the first place, Ben. That's why you brush twice a day. That's why you floss. And not just any floss. You set aside a half an hour diary booking for your flossing because you've got some stuff in your teeth, Ben, that you shouldn't be eating anyway. Don't let the decay start in the first place. Isn't that interesting? The shepherd's voice. You know, when the shepherd's voice begins to just become less and less and less, there's like a decay in your ability to hear the voice. And it's like Jesus is there, but you seem to just be wandering away and away and away. And once that decay starts, it becomes harder and harder to hear his voice. My dentist gets it. He just says, don't let the decay start. He says, just, just stay, with, stay with the Lord. Simple. So why don't I do it? Because I think at the end of the day, prosperity sinks into my own heart and I just feel at home and on this earth. This earth is my home. This earth is what matters. I forget that I'm a citizen of heaven. I forget that, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I, I forget it. And so at Easter time, we had the cross and we had this verse and people from the congregation got up and in a symbolic way, they, they linked themselves to the cross of Christ. A simple bit of symbolism to say it's no longer I that live, but I now live in Christ. I'm, I'm linked. I'm in Christ. I'm with him. I'm, it's not me. It's him. I just wonder if we need to do this every day, not because it's works, but because it protects us. It keeps us loyal to the right thing. It keeps our ears attentive to the right voice. It, it allows us to not be misled by others that would mislead us, including our own hearts and desires, but it causes us to come back to the, really the only truth that matters. Because Jesus plus nothing is everything, is salvation. So, so I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. You know, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we... We probably do that. So here's the thing. If you think Jesus can't forgive you, you're in the wrong camp. If you think you have to do something first before you're accepted, you're on Peter's side. Peter was an awesome guy. I love Peter. Who here loves reading about Peter? I love that guy. He was just like us. He's on the wrong side. 
He just went to the wrong truth. So, for us, we end up treating his grace as meaningless because we feel condemnation or we feel worthless or we feel inadequate. We feel like Jesus won't accept us. That is exactly the same thing that Paul's talking about. That's like saying you have to be circumcised to be saved. You see, this beautiful cross, this ugly stick, this terrible torture is now our life. And it's not just back then, once off, when I come to the Lord. It's every day His mercies are new. So every day, don't let His grace become meaningless. Make His grace meaningful every day, every moment. Allow His grace to be meaningful to you again in that issue and in that pressure where you feel divided between loyalty and the truth of the cross.